right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. The Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. And on today's edition of the show, we're going to be talking plenty more KU basketball, recapping the overall season portion of things. We'll be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World at 340. We are going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at 440. Some more uh, March Madness talk and also a little KU women's basketball talk after they blew out Missouri yesterday to advance in the women's NIT. Uh, We'll start kind of recapping just the season as a whole. We recapped the the weekend and and stuff like that yesterday. But um, I think overall when you look at the season – for Kansas to go from being a team that won the national title to then the next year being a team that still found its way to get a one seed after you lose as much as you did and to have a real shot at repeating, if not for you know some, some health stuff that you can't plan for with Bill Self, pretty remarkable stuff, to be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, what was the thing that people were kind of talking about or speculating about when Kansas was looking like they were going to be one of the top four seeds, which they ended up being one of the top four seeds, was that, oh, the teams that have gone back-to-back in the last 50 years, what's the one thing they had in common? Well, they all brought back a bunch of their guys from the year that they won before, i.e. Florida, who brought back like their entire team to win it again, right? And Kansas was the complete opposite. They lost almost over 80, around 80% of their scoring production from last season. And that was going to be the storyline, I think, for Kansas, if they were to make a deep run, was going to be, Wow, here's the team. Here's a team that had a first team All American in Ochai go pro. They lose Christian Brown. They lose David McCormick. The guy hit the game winning shot to win them the title last year. And here's Jalen Wilson, who steps up and is a first team All American and, and leads the team. Dewan Harris. They're playing without really a, a bona fide, consistent five man with KJ Adams. Like it would be. I think it'd be the story of a of a scrappy team that lost so much and still found a way to to make a run. Right. And obviously, it didn't end up panning out that way. But, but that was to me that was going to be the storyline. Like, if if Kansas continued to advance, it was going to be, man, here's a team that did nobody pick to finish to win. Nobody picked to win the Big Twelve. Certainly, I think at the beginning of the season, they they weren't. A, it's not like they were a hot pick to to repeat because they lost so much, and yet here they are once again near the top of the mountain. And you're right with ex, you know besides some some extra circumstances that happened to them, they they could still be in that conversation. Uh, but, but yeah, that that's to me was one of the biggest takeaways was, you know, we always knew it's hard to repeat. That's why it's only happened three times in the last, what, 50 years? Mm-hmm. And like I said, when you look at the teams that did repeat, the one thing they had, all had in common was they brought back a good chunk of their team. So for Kansas, we always knew it was going to be a something truly, truly special if they were to to repeat or even get close to repeating because of how much they lost. Yeah, I think uh, 
when I look at this season, you have to think back to the journey. And yeah, I know for some people, it is all about the postseason. And I think that's a very wrong way of looking at it in this sport specifically. Like, you know, if you're if you're an Alabama football fan and you base your season success based on what happens in the college football playoff. Again, I, I still think you need to enjoy the journey in sports because you're you're going to not win the title more than you're going to win it. So yeah. it, just for your own sanity, you need to be able to do that. But I can understand that a little bit more because the college football playoff is a little less, um, I don't know, random might be the word. Uh, like for the Chiefs, you know, if, if the Chiefs lose in the wild card round, that's certainly a disappointment. And and if Kansas would have lost to the 16 seed, yes, at that point the season probably is a failure. Like <laughs> I, I know it's, uh, but just because of the 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 laughing stock portion of it, like the, the yeah. jokes that would come with it. But this season was still a success in my mind. Does it make it an overwhelming success? Does it make it a season that you're going to remember forever? Does it make it a season that they're hanging a banner? No. But well, I guess they are kind of hanging a banner. They're well, hanging the Big Twelve banner. Think about think about the purpose of the postseason in various sports. Is the purpose to for it to be exciting, or is the purpose for it to crown the best team? Yeah, the NCAA tournament is the one where yeah. it's to be. It's supposed to be exciting. The no, best team, a, the best team in college basketball, hardly if ever wins the national championship. It's it's funny because the the difference in their own they're the same sport of basketball. The yes. NBA versus college basketball they're is at the opposite end of the complete spectrum. opposite. Yeah, yeah, the NBA is the one that always crowns the best team, and and the NCAA is the most exciting. Yeah. Um. And, and it's one of those things where it's like when your team loses early, you're like, man, we sure this is the right way we're doing this if you have a really good team. But then when they go far, it's the most exciting thing in the world because it makes it so unexpected and it makes yeah. every tournament win. It makes I every mean, tournament run so much more valuable. It's madness for a reason. Right. It's madness. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's chaos, right? That's the, whole, that's the whole appeal of the whole thing. That's what makes it arguably the greatest sporting event ever is that you've got all these different teams coming in and some of them – Maybe we're hot. Some of them maybe struggled throughout the season. What? But none of that matters, right? Once you get once you get to the NCAA tournament, and that's that's the beauty of it, right? That's the beauty of the NCAA tournament is that you can have 16 seats win games. You can have you know Cinderella stories. But of course, on the flip side of that, if you're going to have Cinderella stories, that means you're going to have teams that were really good that lose early. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I think that um, in this light. You got to kind of look back at at what made that journey fun, um, and maybe we'll do this later in the week of of kind of picking exactly the best parts. But just view it this way: you won a Big Twelve title. You've now won yep. two straight. So if you want to expand another streak or you something, won it outright, by the way, uh, yeah, exactly. I I don't know that you will ever. I don't know to to think they're going to get back to fourteen or something, especially with some of the new schools coming in. That that's going to make it tough. But nonetheless, you expanded your streak to two. Might make um, it easier though if you don't if you only have to play. I guess some of the yeah, top it depends on on how the schedule works out, and, and if Texas becomes this you know burgeoning, really good team year in and year out, and Rodney Terry figures that stuff out, like they're going to be leaving for the SEC. Um, but you did that. You beat your rival. You beat your rival's brains in in Missouri. Yeah. In, back in December. Yeah. Um. You got that Big Twelve championship out, right? I don't know. Now looking back, like this team wasn't a good, a great tournament team, which is kind of weird. They lost in the Bahamas championship. They lost in the Big Twelve championship. They lose in the second round. Um, 
So I guess technically, because they say the tournament, the coaches look at it as two-game tournaments, Kansas lost in the final game of every tournament they played. So they just weren't yeah. a great tournament team for whatever reason. But in the regular season, they were they were a lot of fun, and they had a lot of high moments. Uh, they had a lot of fun player highlights. We got to see the growth of Jalen Wilson. We got to see a National Player of the Year candidate. I mean, for a lot of schools, they might have one National Player of the Year candidate in two decades. Kansas has one like every year now. Or like every other year. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it was Jalen Wilson this year. It was Ochag Baji the year before. Uh, Frank Mason won it in 2017. Devontae Graham was, I guess, on the short list because he was a first-team All-American uh, in 2018. So um, you still have to be able to separate some of that stuff. And like I said, it's not going to be – I'm not saying this is going to be one of the more memorable seasons. Certainly is going to be more memorable than – some of the other second round outs we've seen recently, like yeah. the 2019 team, the 2021 team, the 2015 team, those teams weren't that memorable. This one is a lot more memorable than those. I mean, they got a one seed. Um, it's just kind of uh, one of those unfortunate things of, of how the tournament shows out to be very uh, unkind if if you make even a few mistakes here or there, yeah. you know? And I, I think that, if Bill Self's health isn't there, like they might still be playing this week. Yeah. yeah. And as much as, as much as I, I think that UConn probably beats them, I don't know for a fact. And, yeah. and you give Bill Self a full week off if, if we're talking about a if healthy Bill Self, if it's right? A close, you know, if it's a close game, we know Bill Self doesn't lose close right. games. Right. I know generally. I'm taking Bill Self over Dan Hurley, <laughs> who this is his first, second weekend appearance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you won the Big 12. Um, I think I think, I think uh, the most difficult thing about this season for me is just going to be, it's going to be hard to look back and really judge the postseason because of the yeah. self stuff, right? Like it's just there's always going to be a cloud of like what if, or you know this that or the other about the postseason because you didn't have Bill Self, right? Like if you have Bill Self, do you win the Big Twelve tournament? And that at that point, do you get the number one overall seed? And then yeah. maybe you end up in a in a different. Uh, a different region or a, di- a different set of circumstances. You know, there's a, there's I mean, that's a, a lot point. of, there's a lot of what ifs that go into this season that I think it's going to be frustrating looking back of like, you know, you'll just never, you'll never know the answer to some of those questions. You know, well, I mean, that's is, a great is, point too, because uh, what you said, we heard the NCAA tournament committee say it did factor in. Yeah, like if KU wins the Big 12 tournament, they have to be the number one overall seed, or at least they jump Houston. And well, the I, I, I think that's the one right there. If they jump Houston, I think they beat Auburn. Like Arkansas was always a bad matchup for them. Arkansas was always just a really good well, team. Again, who we, we talked about had a lot of Arkansas talent. was a preseason SEC favorite. Right, like right? they were a top fifteen preseason team. This was a team that Nick Smith was considered like a top three pick in the preseason before he got hurt and whatnot. Like they, they yes, they have a very yeah. very talented team, one of the more talented eight seeds in a while. So yeah, that that was never you know that was never a question. But yeah, I mean that again that to me that's the most maybe the most frustrating part from it from the fan perspective is like. You just have a lot of questions that you'll never get the answer to of how things could have could have panned out maybe a little bit differently here or there. Yeah, it's it's almost similar in certain ways to the 2020 season. Yeah, with exactly, exactly. COVID canceled out and everything. So I I do think that if you're looking at like the biggest positives and negatives to take away from the entire season as a whole, um, I think the biggest negative is probably just the health of Bill Self because this isn't just about you know missing these tournament games and missing this possible run in March and a chance to repeat. Um, this isn't just about, um, I guess, his health in terms of what it means. Like, is there any chance he retires this year? But I think it also, more than anything, 
So Bill Self, when he was in his like mid fifties, talked about the idea of retiring. He didn't want to be someone who's you know coaching into his seventies and stuff. Yeah. But then he got to like fifty eight, and this happened a couple years ago. And he came out and he's like, well, you know what? Now that I'm here, now that I'm almost in my sixties, like I still feel energized, I still feel rejuvenated. I would love to keep doing this for you know a long period of time. But now you have this happen, and it just makes you wonder if the timeline of how long. Because it varies so much in college basketball. How old was Jim Beheim this past year? Like 77, I think. Let's see. Jim Beheim is... Hey, did you know Jim Beheim's 6'3"? He is uh, 78 years old. Oh, 78. Yeah, 78. him on the court, man. 6'3". Um, no, uh, so he's 78. He's coaching for 47 years. I know. Dan D'Antoni, who uh, I just saw this today. This is just kind of random, but he's the Marshall head coach. He's 75, and he's like, oh, I want to come back for at least another couple more years. So, like, we've seen coaches who, like, hypothetically— I mean, even Kelvin Sampson's 60, yeah, 67, something like that, where, where it would make— like, it wouldn't be crazy if Bill Self was, you know, coaching for another decade or another 12 years or another eight years, whatever it is. But with the health scare stuff, you do have to always consider it. And there are other coaches who have coached late, and they still have health stuff going on. Like, Roy Williams was coaching late, and he still had, uh, like, vertigo stuff. Coach K had all sorts of stuff, um, back issues and whatever else, right? Um, so it, it wouldn't be that crazy, but it certainly does make it become more of a conversation of like, I, I guess it makes you almost feel like, okay, after last year, you win the title, you feel invincible as you yeah. kind of talked about yesterday yeah, and you feel like, oh, now Jay Wright retires, coach K is retiring. Roy Williams is gone. You got like Bill Self is the best coach in college, in college basketball. basketball. He's about to peel off an insane run, right? Yes, exactly. And now you come to this year and it feels like a, a face plant in that way because it's like. Well, now, like, my, could you only have two more years with Bill Self? Could you have seven years? Could you have one? I, I don't know. You, you just don't know. And obviously, like, his his own personal health is the most important thing. Right, here. of course. Like, it's like, you know, regardless of the basketball stuff, if, you know, you want to make sure he's, his, his health is, what, is what's the top priority, you know? And it could be a situation where, you know, listen, it's, being a basketball coach is a stressful job. Maybe just because of the stress of it, like, you know, he shouldn't continue or whatever. So it's... It's it's certainly tough and and I, I do think for KU like losing early is terrible but now it kind of does give you a chance to be like okay Bill Self can really take the time to recuperate there's no real like I got to get back for the next weekend I got to get back for you know for the team whatever now you can kind of take this opportunity to go into the off season and and make sure that a you are feeling you know back to your normal self and b that you are feeling in a in a situation where you do want to go ahead and continue and continue coaching right? yeah. Now, as far as, like, I think biggest positives overall from the season outside of just, like, winning the Big 12 and, and what you accomplished there, I think we did find out um, a lot about a couple players. Like, uh, if, if you're talking about biggest positives in terms of what we can take away for future years, because obviously Jalen, that was great, and Kevin McCall, all that stuff was great, but that won't affect future years. Yeah. It was it was great to see Dewan Harris take another step forward. Um, I think there will be another step of him to be asked for next year from both a leadership perspective because I mean yeah. Jalen was kind of that alpha dog leader. Like who is yeah. going to be the vocal leader of the team? Maybe that's yeah. a KJ Adams thing. Yeah, you know, Dewan's he's not really the most vocal guy, but you know, there's lots of different leadership styles. Of course. Yeah. I do think though you have to have somebody who's a vocal leader. And every good KU team has had at least somebody who has been a vocal leader. Like it's different types of leadership. For yeah. instance. Like Frank Mason wasn't that way. No, but they had Devontae Graham. Yeah. You know, they had Josh yeah. Jackson. Um with the Udoka Azubuki team, Udoka was more of, of the ilk of like Dewan, where he was quiet, lead by example, but Devon Dotson would be our vocal leader. And Devon was different. He was more of like a, 
I have no problem calling you out and raising you to the standard, like that type of leader. Um, Devontae Graham was the vocal leader of like encouraging you, charisma. There are different ways of doing it. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe that would be KJ. Maybe that would be Dewan. But you think of both as, as quieter guys. I wonder. Uh, that's one question that we'll get into next year. But as far as the play of those guys, you knew Dewan Harris was going to be an important player. I don't think I realized how good he was going to be this year. Yeah. Yeah, I think and it going, makes you feel really good. I mean, about next going year. into the season, I think you and I both agree. We felt like Dewan Harris was pretty underrated. Mm-hmm. Like, not a lot of people really gave him a lot of respect. And but even even then, I don't think we realized just how good he could be or how vital he could be to Kansas, both on both sides of the ball. Right? Obviously, defensive, you know, a great defensive player. And on top of that, what he does with the offense, his assist turnover ratio, his facilitating everything, like. Even I don't even think we fully understood what he could do or what his ceiling was for Kansas in terms of facilitating and running the offense. Mm-hmm. And then I think with KJ Adams, that one especially, like yeah, we didn't know sure. coming in the air is like, is KJ going to be a backup <laughs> center? Is he going to be a backup wing? Okay. You know what I think of for KJ Adams? Hmm. I think of that athletic story uh, that was written. I think maybe CJ Moore. Wrote CJ Moore, it? Yeah. yeah. CJ Moore wrote that athletic story, and there's a quote from. KJ Adams' mom in there, where she's basically like, "It's not going to work with KJ at the five. Like, what are we doing?" <laughs> basically. Yeah. And then look what happened. You got a one seed, and you know you were in position to make a run in the tournament. So that's what I think of with KJ, and that just goes to show you, like, you know, and his mom played basketball, I think, so she obviously yeah. understands what what's going on. And and for her to be like, "That's not going to work," and then it Bill Self makes it work, or somehow it works out, you know, for Kansas, right? So that's what I think of, and that just shows his versatility and his athleticism and. And yeah, just sort of his uh, his his ruggedness and how he can just kind of do whatever you really need him to do. And and even Norm Roberts in the post game of the game against Arkansas said, "Hey, you know, the, basically our offense is running through KJ." And that was shown when he was not on the floor that KJ struggled in that game. That was sort of a microcosm, I think, of big picture of what KJ's meant to the team for the season. Yeah, he he went from being a guy who was like, "I don't know what his role on this team is going to be," to irreplaceable yes. for this team by yep. the end of the season. And that makes you feel good too, because just like Dewan Harris, he could have up to two more years with this team yeah and you expect him to be one of the go-to guys next season now with him i don't i still don't really know what the role is going to be next year like could it yeah. still be as a small ball five does he does he move up a little bit to like being the four uh what does he do with this game does he add to back to the basket game does he add anything to his perimeter game like there are a lot of questions about where you go with his position i guess yeah. would be the best way of putting it yeah but you know that two things one he is a very productive player and can do a certain role for you, which was very important from not what you knew at the beginning of the season. And two, that whatever he does set his sights out to do, I feel very confident he is going to be a much improved player. Think about yeah. how improved he was from last Wait, season. He was the most improved year. player from this year, right? Yeah, in the Big 12. He yeah. won Big 12 most improved yeah. player. Yeah. I mean, and I don't is, even is think that's that crazy. crazy to win? He could I was going to say, again? could he win it again? Like, what if, what if next year? Okay, think about it this way. What was Jalen Wilson so good at? He was driving to the rim and finishing through contact at the rim, right? And Jalen could hit threes, and that allowed him to open things up a little bit, driving to the rim. He wasn't a knockdown three-point shooter, but he was good enough that it made the defense respect him out there. If KJ goes to three, it doesn't get that respected right now, so it is different. But KJ is like a really good driver of the basketball, too. Yeah. Like, would it be crazy? Well, if- okay, so this year he averaged over 10 point, 10.6 points, a little over four rebounds. On 62% shooting. What if he averages like 13 or 14 with like five or six rebounds a game next right. season? 
Well, that's what I'm saying. What if he moves to the four and he becomes your like primary driver yeah. to the rim, right? Yeah. And he gets 15 points per game. It sounds a little crazy, but again, he's the Big 12 most improved player from last year to this year. And yeah. on top of it, we saw how much he improved just from the start of the season to the end of the season, you know, yes. just from month to month, from week to week. So why would he not keep improving and keep going on a, a upward trajectory into next year? So I think those are your biggest positive takeaways to take from this season that are going to go into next season yeah. that you do feel like you do have two trustworthy dudes that can go into next year when if you would have at the beginning of the year, the first maybe couple weeks of the year, even this year, you would have probably said, yeah, man, I don't know. Those could just be two glue guys headed into next year. I don't know what next year's team's going to look like, but now you're like, eh, yeah, that's a good starting block. Yeah, and I just, I just want to reiterate, you won the Big 12 outright in a year where you weren't picked to win it and also where the Big 12 was consistently described as the toughest conference in basketball, one of the toughest conferences ever, right? You had Baylor, Kansas State, Texas, Iowa State, TCU. I mean, the list goes on and on of, of teams that were talked about. I mean, even on this show, we talked about it you know, almost every week in January of, oh, could this team win the Big 12? Could this team win the Big 12? Could this team, like, who is it going to be? And in the end, Kansas, once again, separated themselves, and they've won it outright before the season was even over. Like, that's incredible. That's an incredible feat, really. Yeah. Well, uh, in the end, it's over. But uh, be glad it happened, not sad it ended, something like that. I, oh, yeah. I totally butchered Dude, that. Dude, yeah, what was that? Yeah, close enough. I mean, that wasn't even, no, it wasn't even close. What do you mean? That wasn't be, close enough. That wasn't happy close enough. it happened. Dude, I don't even know. <laughs> Dude, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Nah, that can't be it. Yes, it is. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, joins us in 15 minutes. Uh, we'll be back after this time out on RCST. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. KU falls to Arkansas in the second round of the tournament. Their season comes to a close. Obviously, there was... A lot of weird things that happened in the game from the five-second call to the 10-second call to uh, Arkansas putting up 45 in the second half without really hitting threes. Uh, so a lot of weird just March stuff in general. And also KU was without Bill Self. You had the little injury to Dewan Harris at the end of the first half. But um, outside of some of the, I guess, I don't know, more random stuff or weird stuff that ended up happening, looking, looking back over the course of the full season – was there maybe a telltale sign? Was there a, a big hint that maybe we were given that this team just wasn't going to be good enough at the end of the day, that they were going to lose uh, maybe in an earlier portion of the tournament? Is there anything that you look back on that you feel like was maybe the most obvious reason that what ended up happening ended up happening? Yeah, I I think, you know, it it, it wasn't anything specific or, or a particular moment, I don't think, that you could look at that and, and go back and say, oh, there it was, you know, but I, I do think um, I, I do think that the accumulation of all the things that they had to fight through uh, throughout the season just ended up being a little too much, and, and we maybe could have seen or should have predicted that that was the case um, or would be the case. You, you know, like, they had no bench. Um, they had limited size obviously um you, you know there were there were things like that they had two mcdonald's all-americans on the bench that never really truly got going which which is rare um 
you know, they obviously had had some nagging injuries along the way. They had to fight and scratch and claw for uh, to win the Big Twelve regular season, and 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 then they did. And and having overcome all of those things, I think made people not just in Lawrence and not just Kansas fans, but across the country, legitimately talking about them as as a team that has a chance to do what Florida did back in '06 and '07. And and I mean, the mere fact that that was a national conversation. I think is is a, a credit to these guys. I mean, they they earned the right to be in that conversation and be taken seriously when people said that. And so, I think that as much as anything speaks to how solid they were all season. But having said all that, all those things that we just talked about, you know, and and look, this is first world problems, right? It's not like the, those were the worst things that any teams ever had to overcome. But they they never really went away, and they never really solved them, and they figured out how to how to work around them, but it was still there. It was still a thing. And it continued to be a thing all the way to the end of the season. And then, oh, by the way, for the last 10 days of the season, you don't have your Hall of Fame head coach. And and to me, that was just sort of the, I hate to use the cliche, but the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just like they made it through all those other things. They they kept grinding. They fought. They 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 persevered. They were tough. They they had the leaders that, that carried them through, and and then that one final thing was just a little too much for them to, in a cumulative sense, overcome. And and it, it ended up being what did them in. Um, Bill Self didn't miss free throws. Bill Self didn't didn't have the ten second call. It wasn't Bill Self's fault that that those things happened in that particular loss to Arkansas, but. You saw, or I saw at least after the game, you know, in the locker room and, and when it was sort of the finality of all of it really set in with these guys, you, you saw a lot of exhaustion and, and you know, it, it was just very clear that they had been carrying and wearing a lot on their shoulders. And it just, it just was a little too much, man. It just, it just was. And they said all the right things. They, they acted the right way. They, they were convincing in doing so. You really did start to believe that even though it's very obvious that not having a guy like Bill Self on the sideline is a disadvantage, you, you did get the feeling that they were going to power through it and they were going to be okay. And um, while they were in, in some ways and in, in a certain sense, um, you know, they missed him. There's no doubt. And and not only because of what he could provide in the games and and just his presence on the sideline, but also because I think they were – they were pressing. They were trying so freaking hard to win those two games or that game on Saturday because they hoped and, and believed that if they could do that, they'd get him back. And, you know, of course they want him back, and they believed he deserved that, and they wanted to have their guy back on the sideline with them and all that. So, you know, even that, if it was even if it was a subconscious thing, I think that added to a little more of that weight that they felt. And uh, once it all came crashing down and they lost that game, you you did see a little bit of a release of that, and and it, it just all added up, man. And um, they had a heck of a year. They should be very proud that they they achieved a lot, and and you know they probably should be remembered for a long, long time. But I don't know if they necessarily will be. Um, but but they should, man. They they fought through a lot, and they were not your typical Kansas team, but they they delivered typical Kansas results. Looking back, do you think it will be? Difficult, maybe, to judge this this postseason for Kansas because of the fact that, yeah, the the outstanding circumstances of the Bill Self. Like, I guess, how would you, you know, in a couple of years or so, 
is it going to be difficult, you think, to, to look back at this year and, and try to judge the, this, this run that Kansas made? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think you have to factor it in, and and if you if you want to use it as a reason to give them a pass, then I think you can do that. It's it's a very real thing. I mean, that's hard to do. That's hard for any coach or excuse me, any team to do to to try to play the most important part of their season without their head coach. Um, it, it, let alone a Hall of Fame guy like that, who you know is is universally kind of viewed as the best coach in the game right now, and. Um, you know, so that makes it harder. Um, I think the other thing you have to do when you when you look back, and we can't do it today, but but when you look back at this this team and try to evaluate exactly what happened and and what the ending was all about, you know, let's see where Arkansas finishes. Um, they they certainly have the talent and the the potential to to be a Final Four team or maybe even more than that. And if they are, then um, I think maybe history will show that uh, this wasn't a bad loss by Kansas. It was it was uh, a bad break for Kansas and maybe a bad draw for Kansas as well because uh, there are a lot of other 8-9 teams out there that they probably would have rather seen, and I think everybody kind of saw that when the bracket came out. But um, I know I did. I mean, I was a voter, an AP voter this year, and, and I had Arkansas in my top ten at different times earlier in the season. You know, I knew they were really good, but – even knowing that, um, you still kind of figured there was there was obviously something about them that was flawed for them to be an eight seed. And uh, in the end, they they appear to be turning it on and putting it all together again at the right time. And so, you know, they're a very talented team, and it's it's certainly not a, a second round loss that you're ashamed of or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they, having said all that, they should have won the game. I mean, they, they, they had that team beat. I think they had them beat a couple of times um, and, and maybe even could have knocked them out earlier in the game and, and just never did. And, and that left the door open for Arkansas to, to keep fighting, keep coming at them, keep believing in themselves. And, and uh, you know, the next thing you know, it's, it's a, it's a dog fight all the way to the end. But um, I think if they play 10 times, I think Kansas probably wins eight. And that just happened to be one of the two that, that it wasn't in the cards for them to win that game. So um, weird ending. It really was. It, 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 I think it was emotional for a lot of guys and certainly for, for the fans. It always is. But I think, even for the fans, they had started to believe that that this team was not invincible by any means. But you know, um, you watched what last year's team did, and there was a carryover effect to that. And and then a guy like Jalen Wilson, who's the heartbeat of this team, he's never out, and and you start expecting that and believing that that's always there. And and then when it when it doesn't go well, when it ends, and it, it, it you fall short, I think there's a little bit of a shock value to that, and you think, wow, that that's not that's not what this team does. And, and I think those guys in the locker room felt that. I don't think they were necessarily devastated that night up in Des Moines. Uh, I know they were, but, but, you know, I think that the prevailing emotion that I saw being in the locker room and stuff was more of just like disbelief. Like, wow, that's not how it goes. We, we pull these out. We win these games. And, you know, I, I'm sure it was even harder to wake up Sunday for them and, and realize that was one they didn't get. I'm glad you used you mentioned the term invincible because I actually used that term on the show. It's like, on top of that, you know, you win the national championship last year and you do kind of get this feeling of invincibility. And then, uh, obviously, it is sort of more of a shock, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Was that your initial reaction after the game? Was it just was it just uh, more of a shock, or I don't know. What were you thinking at the end of the game? 
Yeah, maybe so. I mean, uh, like I said, I, I I thought they were going to win going into the game. I thought they came out great and and really looked good early. Um, I think that the first half was was all Kansas in a lot of ways. Um, I really think if DeWan didn't didn't have to, you know, or didn't fall victim to that ankle injury, um, that might have changed it. I, I you know I don't think he he necessarily showed any effects of of the injury in the second half. Um, he seemed to be fine and, and he was out there all 20 minutes and he competed and, you know, that's not an excuse, but I, but I think where the, the where the, the factor or where that becomes a factor is they had an eight point lead at halftime and they were really cooking in the, at the end of that first half. And I think if Dewan doesn't go down, they may have been able to build that lead to, you know, 10, 12, maybe even higher by halftime. And then that might've changed the, the second half entirely. Um, instead, he goes down, and I don't even remember the time, but it was a couple minutes at least. And and not only does he limp off to the locker room, and these guys have to finish the half out, not knowing is he okay, is he going to be able to play? You know those things. You try to put them out of your mind, but um, they're there. You can't you can't totally not think about those things when when it's an important player like that. And and uh, and and so in addition to that, it took the juice out of the building. I mean, it was eerily quiet in there. Um, you know, it, it, it was the entire building went silent when he was down and grabbing his ankle, and um, you could almost hear the conversation between him and the and the uh, trainer, no matter where you were sitting in the entire building. So, uh, I think that took some of the wind out of their sails and allowed Arkansas maybe that crack they needed to to uh, to, to believe again that that they were still in the game. I think if Kansas is up twelve at halftime, it's it is a different story, and Arkansas has a little bit more of a. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you'd say panic or what it would have been, but but you know, doubt would be a word for it, I guess, because uh, I, I really thought KU outplayed them um, pretty significantly in the first half, and and even though an eight point lead is a pretty nice lead, um, you know that that it could have been more, and and you know it was more. They had them down ten, twelve. Um, I think it was ten with with twelve and a half minutes to go. I mean. You know, you you can you can feel sorry for them, and you can say they they had a couple of bad breaks. But if you're up ten points with twelve to go, you should probably win the game. And that's where those mistakes that they made that were uncharacteristic of this team, that's where those came into play and and really cost them. And and uh, next thing you know, it's over. So what now as we move forward and and head to the off season? Certainly, uh, I guess some people will be waiting the Grady Dick decision. I have said that I think it's probably 90% that might even be too low that uh, he ends up going pro. Obviously, we await the health of Bill Self. There's going to be transfer portal news in and out, I'm sure, all abound. Cam Martin yesterday, Marcus Adams reclassifies, all sorts of stuff that uh, we're going to be looking out for here in the offseason. What to you sticks out the most about uh, this offseason and what you think Kansas needs to do to get back on uh, the top of the college basketball world? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a very different-looking team. Um, you know, you'll have Dewan Harris and you'll have KJ Adams and, and I don't know that KJ's quite in that Jalen Wilson, Ochai, Dave, Christian Brown category, you know, anything like that. But but he's been around those guys and he's got a chance to be that. He could be the next guy that steps into that important leadership role. Um Dewan will have to step up his game again, not just as an offensive player and, and you know, production wise, but um, it was it was easier for him to be a leader on this team because he had Jalen doing it with him. And next year he'll have a guy like KJ maybe doing it with him, and he'll need help. And uh, so those two will be your rock, but they'll, again, it'll be such a different-looking team. Um, I think 
uh, beyond the guys that are obviously leaving, like Jalen and Kevin McCullough and, and now Cam Martin, of course, um, I think at least three or four other guys, maybe even five, will be gone. And that means, you know, another seven, eight, nine guys coming in that, that are new faces. Uh, we already know about the four freshmen, but if uh, if other other players elect to look elsewhere for, for different opportunities like Cam Martin did, then Kansas will get an opportunity to replace them as well. And, and so that'll be new faces and, and new blood. And, and uh, you know, it, it'll be the same refrain that you hear year after year after year after year. Um, they'll say it. They'll say faces change, expectations don't. We'll hear that a hundred times next year too. Um, but but that's the culture that is Kansas. So I, I think that um, it will look different. And 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 look, I, I I don't I don't think that you are crazy for saying you know ninety percent on Grady. But I, I know that I'm in a small group. Um, I may be the only one in the room. Um, but I, I think the percentage of him returning is is. Uh, quite a bit higher. Um, I don't think it's quite 50-50 or anything crazy like that. Uh, I think he has a tough decision to make, but I think um, based on everything I know about the kid and his family and, and just kind of the realities of, of that decision that they have to make, uh, I don't think it's crazy at all to think he comes back. And uh, if he leaves, it won't shock me one bit. But I think I put I would probably put my percentage – you know, 25, 30, even a little bit higher than that. Um, just because I think the NIL fact changes things, you know, um, he could go pro and make a bunch of money. He could stay here and make a bunch of money, though. And a lot of guys will face that decision as the years roll on, and not just at Kansas, but at schools across the country. But not a lot of guys will have that extra impact or extra factor element in play that, that Grady does, which is – the kid was born to be a Jayhawk. He loved this program long before he got here. And, you know, I think he had a blast. I know he had a blast. He said that in the locker room Saturday night. And and so the the unknown is going pro. You know, what does that look like? How How much will my lack of physical maturity be a problem there? How much will my defense be a problem there? I know I can work on those things and get better, but that's – it's all unknown how you're going to fit there. Um, I don't think he's afraid of that challenge, but, but you know, it is an unknown. What you know is that if you come back to Kansas, you can work on those things too. And, oh, by the way, you can, you can have another wonderful, outstandingly fun season. Do it in front of your family who loved coming to every game and, and uh, play for the school you love and, and see if you can't, you know, not only improve your stock and, and, and be the face of the program for a year, but also – um, you know, give another run at, at winning a title and, and doing all those things that Kansas fans expect to be done. So I think that extra element there where, where this is just the school the kid grew up loving, um, that adds that, that, that brings into play the very real possibility that he could come back. Um, but, you know, the, the best thing I can say for that decision and for that family is that they're some of the smartest people I know and um, their, their entire approach to handling Grady from his recruitment to uh, the NIL space to just even dealing with that certainly odd and unusual last name and how they've handled that. You know, they've done everything very thoroughly and thought out and and uh, they've handled it all wonderfully well. So I think they'll handle this well, too, and, and they'll make the right decision. But I, I know when, when we were talking last summer before he even arrived on campus, you know, talking to his parents, it was, 
you know, they said, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know if he's going to be there one year or two years or three years or four years, but we're going to go give it all we got, have a lot of fun doing it. And, and, and we'll know the right thing to do when it, when it, when it comes time to make that decision. So, um, I think it's, I think it's possible. And I think, look, it, it, there's no doubt that if, if they could find a way to get him back, um, you know, it, it would be massive because then you're talking yeah. about three starters returning and, and you're adding a bunch of new pieces around them and you see if you can't get some big man development. You see if you can't have a little better bench. And, and if you do, then maybe you have a better team. But, uh, but it, it'd be hard, man. This was a really good team. I mean, they didn't have a really good finish and their results at the end weren't, weren't anything to write home about and won't, won't have books written about them and things like that. But, but they were a really good team and they, they, they competed as you've heard self say a hundred times. I mean, they competed as hard as any team. Um, so they, they deserve to be remembered. And, uh, and I think it'll be a, a totally different looking team next year. And, and it'll be fun to see what that looks like because that's the world of college athletics right now, college basketball. I mean, coaches plug in guys each year and, and it's up to them to, to, uh, put the pieces together and see how it works and, and, uh, you know, find a way to make it all work. And, and, uh, as long as Kansas has this coaching staff and Bill self in place, then they usually have an advantage over a lot of, a lot of people. He is Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal Worlds. Uh, you're more optimistic about it than I am, although I, I feel like I've even been more optimistic than a lot of other people. So uh, I, I'm sure that gets some KU fans certainly rather interested to see when, when that decision does come from Grady. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. Yeah, you bet. And hey, look, uh, like I said, I might be the only person in that room, but if you if you look into it a little more and you start thinking that maybe my person I'll join you. Is a I'll higher, join you in the room. It's just come knock on the door. Just a secret <laughs> knock and I'll let you in. I'll know it's you and and I'm happy to bring as many people in. But yeah, I may be I may be in that room on my own for a little while. Um, but you know, I, I I just don't think it's crazy to think it could happen. So, it'll be a lot of fun and we should know a lot of these decisions in the next, you know, couple weeks, I would imagine. Um, Grady, of course, is going to going to test. He's going to go probably maybe get a combine invite and all that stuff. So his might not be as quick as the others, but um, there will be some comings and goings uh, happening pretty quickly, I would imagine, over the next couple few weeks at the very least. Well, thanks again, Matt. Appreciate all your work all season long, man. All right, man. Thanks. Have a good week. All right, that's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Check out all his work. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Top five best and worst things about the season being over for KU basketball. Next. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Four o'clock hour. Certainly interesting what Matt had to say about Grady Dick there. Do you, do you put? Yeah, that was really interesting. What was the number he put? Twenty five percent. Twenty five to thirty. Twenty five to thirty. Uh, and, we, you know, listen, I, I understand where he's coming from. Like you're right. I mean, you know, Grady's the type of guy that maybe when he was playing basketball in his in his uh, on his driveway and whatnot, instead of dreaming of being like on the Lakers or the Celtics, maybe it was Kansas. I mean, he's been, well, no, he's he, he was a Kansas fan growing up. Exactly. I mean, exactly. So I mean, that I mean, I wouldn't listen. The combination of that plus nil. Right, certainly makes a huge difference, and that's you know, the thing. Like six he, years ago, he's gone. Easy, correct, right? Well, like, but, like if you're making six figures, close to seven figures, as it is in NIL, and you love where you're at, and you've dreamed about, you know, wearing the Kansas jersey, and you have a chance to maybe come back and you know play for a national title and and maybe improve your draft stock a little bit, 
Yeah, it's, it's not out of the normal possibility. Well, so I'm I'm looking at the rookie scale from uh, last year. The what the rookies make. If he went 14th in the draft, he'd get 3.2 million. If he went say 20th in the draft, he would make like 2.4 million. That's more than he would make back off NIL. But is it that much more? I mean, yes, when you're talking about an extra million or so, that is a lot more. But um, the numbers I've heard floated around about how much he's made. I mean, I, I don't think these are official numbers. It's just kind of talking to people and being like, yeah, how much do you, yeah. is, is around a million dollars. Right. Yeah. And so like that is enough that if you come back and make another million and you've made 2 million. Yeah. I, I know it's not as much. So that's why I still have it more of a higher odds that he goes pro than he does not. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you have 2 million made in your career before you even start in the NBA, like. You're yeah. still making a nice little nest egg in case anything happens there. Like, For sure. Yeah. You know, a lot of people might not make $2 million their entire lives, right? Yeah. So it is interesting, plus the KU fan thing, uh, plus the way that they went out this year. Yep. Bad taste in your mouth. You didn't have Bill Self there, right? Yep. Um, I think that if he comes back, that would be... Uh, and if he comes back, he's, he's instantly one of the top... Right, three or four best players in the country. Right. right, and that's the thing. If he made that much this year off NIL money, imagine what happens if he's back next year and he's like National Player of the Year. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Then maybe he is making two million dollars. <laughs> like being dead serious, because some of the he has national brands on him. Yeah. This isn't just like local businesses. I mean, he has yeah, Adidas. He's got, the, he's got he has, the Beats thing. Yeah, he's got uh, the Beats the by Dre. Yeah. He's got like national tire companies. I mean, uh, this dude's getting it everywhere, and. and um, I, I think which the I one think argument awesome, the that I never know which way to go with is the development argument. Um, because on one hand, I do tend to agree that the development thing is like, well, if he comes back, he could develop. And it's like, well, but if he goes to the pros, he, it would be his job. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like you know what I mean? You're in the weight room 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're eating, living, and breathing. Like why basketball. would you not develop better there? Yeah. My one worry specifically for Grady Dick, though, as opposed to some other guys, would be that with Grady Dick, because he is so good at like spot-up shooting and three-point shooting, that he would get funneled into that role only. And that if he was... You know, some teams do it differently. If some team drafted him and that was their thought, and then they only have him work on that stuff, and they don't have him you know, work enough on improving his game where that just becomes his career, which, to be clear, you could have a 10-, 15-year career in the NBA just doing that yes. if you're good at it, as, which as, which As could. a guy who goes and stands in the corner and shoots. 100%, and he could do that. <laughs> but I and I, and I wonder if uh, he's drafted by a team and they just turn him into that, which, again, can be a lucrative, long career. But I wonder if there's more meat on the bone where if he did come back, and, again, he could this could happen in the NBA. It just would depend on which team drafted him and what ended up happening there. Yeah. But that he could develop more of his overall game with Bill Self and learn more. And so I, I don't know the answer because normally the answer to that development cl- question, like I said, is, well, why wouldn't they still develop in the NBA? And that's, yeah, they, they, they don't have classes. They get paid to do it, all that stuff. But there is a part of me that wonders if he just gets, you know, kind of into a niche of the spot-up shooter if he goes right now. I don't actually know that for a fact. It would depend where you get drafted. But I do think that's an interesting conversation nonetheless. But, uh, yeah, yeah, if if he wants to come back, it would have to be more about just his love of Kansas. It really would. Yeah, Um, for sure. Which usually the argument dies there. It it really does. Because a lot of these guys Pre-NIL, yes. I know. I get it. Post-NIL, it's not that crazy. I guess. Um but like last year's is Christian Brown, you know. But but the the thing is that you have to come to with a lot of these guys is like, it, can their draft stock be better next year? You know what I mean. And with Grady, it's exactly. tough. If seeing he goes it being from being better. drafted 
12th to, to being like 11th yeah or ninth. it's not you know it's not a thing um i guess you could argue i i think i saw some people saying that this next year's to so the class of 2023 the the high school recruiting class is like one of the worst they've seen in a long time so I guess maybe you could argue, hey, if Grady Dick comes back to school and he shows a more complete offensive game and he's better on defense, because I think all of the shortcomings he had defensively this year were, they weren't from like a lack of trying. Yeah, it was just from being young, right? Effort, yeah. And that's that's part of it. If you if you try hard and you're with a good defensive coach and Bill Self, you'll probably figure it out at least to some good level um, at some point there. Yeah. So um, I guess you could say that maybe the avenue is there that, yeah, if he came back and he was a first team all American and he leads Kansas to another number one seed and, and maybe a final four run and, um, or even a national the, the high school title. class. Yeah, exactly. And the high school class is a little bit on the weaker end of, of other high school classes. You don't have a Victor Wembenyama in this class. Then yeah, sure. Maybe he could become a top 10 pick. And, um, I don't know, again, to your point, like how, how big of a difference is it from being pick number 14 to pick number nine? I don't know. Maybe it's not that much. I guess it is an extra million dollars a year on your NBA contract. So yeah. that, that is something more than nothing. But yeah, at the end of the day, it would just have to come back to him making a decision that we're not used to seeing, but we have seen a few exceptions like your Miles Bridges of the Worlds and guys like that who uh, you just don't, you, you don't really expect it. But when it happens, it's kind of a cool moment. Yes. Yes. And I think it could happen more often at other schools, not just Kansas with NIL. Yeah. I Which would be great for the college game, by the way. But see, I think it impacts more for guys who are like second round picks. Yeah. Sure. You know? Yeah. Because if you're projected to be a first round pick. Well, like Jalen Wilson would have would have gone, would have left Kansas if he was a Probably top if there wasn't NIL. Pick. Yeah. If yeah. there was a top fifteen pick, he would have left. But I think even last year he might have left Kansas if not for NIL. Maybe. As as to begin with. Maybe. Um but I think a lot of guys who are first round picks, like a lot of guys aren't Grady Dick. They're they're no. not as marketable no. as he is. Yeah. Where if they're where he's getting drafted, it's not even a conversation. But because the money can at least be close enough, then it can become about some of those other things. I also do think it's interesting though, when you look at like I remember when Marcus Adams committed to KU, right? Yeah. There was a story, and I can't remember who, so I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I don't remember if this is with Shreyas in the Kansas City Star, or if this was in, you know, like Jayhawk Slant or, or Fog.net. So I, I apologize for not uh, having the exact person. But one of the quotes that he said, um, and check out all those publications because they all do great work. Um, one of the the quotes that he said was talking about the coaches talking to him about how like playing time could open up on the wing, and they have a need there because uh, they could be losing like all those wings with Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller, and Grady Dick. I, I just find that interesting from the standpoint of KU coaches, obviously, when they were recruiting these guys, were telling them, yeah, we expect Grady Dick to be gone. Yeah, or we think it's likely he's gone. So wouldn't they know? But I don't know. Man, Maybe don't, it's not something man. that they approach the conversation until the end of the year. It might not. But I don't know. <coughs> man, I don't know. Okay, what's your percentage? Matt Tate said 25 to 30. I, I said go 10%. would like 15. Okay. 20, Zero maybe. between both of us. Yeah. We'll, we'll ask every guest we have on this week if they, if they deal with KU basketball. Okay. Give, a Give a percentage. And then we'll come up with like a big board. That would actually be funny. <laughs> we should come up with like a graphic and we can post it on Twitter at the end of the week. with like the the, the bar graph or something like that it's of like wherever the, it is at, right? You know, it's the NBA draft lottery, yeah. but it's the opposite. I like it. All right. Well, uh, I don't know. We, we were going to do this top five worst <laughs> things, best things about KU basketball season being over. Uh, we're just going to do that later because I, okay. I think this is an interesting enough conversation. Okay. I will say, if Grady Dick comes back, 
it completely changes to me the way I view next year's KU team. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right now, I view KU. Because right now, it's like, oh, well, like, I don't know the about shooter? the shooting. Like, right. what are we going to do about shooting? Bing. Problem solved. Yeah. Right, seriously. Problem solved. And then some. Yeah. And then some. Like, do you have too much Not only is it now, problem um, solved, now it's problem is turned <laughs> into a, a strength. Right. Seriously. It is that big of a difference. Yeah, and absolutely. If, so if you told me you had a starting lineup, hypothetically, of next year, Dewan Harris. Yep. Let's say, I don't know, El Marco Jackson, if you sure. want to do that sure. uh, as another, you know, combo guard. Um, Grady Dick at the three. Yep. Let's say they add like some transfer who is kind of a wing type who can shoot threes pretty well from some other, you know, high level school. Okay. At the four. And then you have KJ at the five with with Ernest and Zuby coming off the bench and uh, another so year with Joe. Joe and Bobby coming off the bench and, and something like that. Yeah. That's Which top I, know, five I know maybe the Joe Bobby part off the bench isn't uh Exactly inspiring. No, it doesn't. But you would think though there should be progression in another year. The Joe one I have more confidence than the Bobby one. Why? Because with Joe He's already had a year. I know, but with Joe About two years. He's had two years now. I know, I know. But with Joe, it's like there are more tangible things that I think could help them off the bench. Like with in terms Joe of scoring. Yeah, exactly. We've seen him be able to score. It just hasn't been consistent. Like, you know, the the thing with Bobby is like early in the year it was like, okay, he's just basically a worse version of Dewan and that mm-hmm. he you know, Dewan's much not much of a scorer and either is Bobby, but Bobby's not as good at the other stuff. So it's like just a you know, Dewan light. But like I But think- then when Dewan started scoring, then it was like, Well, what is What's Bobby even? We doing? see a lot of times in college basketball players who are inconsistent. As the years go on, what they get better at is consistency. So with Joe, if the problem is inconsistency, which it is, inconsistency yeah. and inefficiency, which sure. are kind of lumped together, sure, that could get better. With Bobby, I'm just like, what do you do here? Like, what do you bring into the table? Yeah, because with Bobby, you can't really play him next to Dewan because of the fact that he is more of just a dribble the ball around, facilitate someone else, right? Yeah. Um. So I, I would have more confidence there. But nonetheless, okay, I think fine, if Grady sure. Dick comes back, I would be viewing this Kansas team, and I don't know who else is going to come back. I We'll talk more about this with Kevin Flaherty later this hour because he helps work on the way-too-early top 25 for 24-7 sports, and I know he's already like kind of documenting stuff for that. Um, to me, the way I view it, if Grady Dick were to come back, this is probably top, top three team. Yes. For easily. sure top five yes, next easily. year. Whereas if he doesn't come back, I view them like more in the vein of 10, like maybe. that – Seven to twelve range, that eight to twelve, eight to fifteen range, depending on what happens in the portal. Now, if you add good portal pickups, then maybe you still could, even without Grady Dick, be fifth or sixth. Right? Does the preseason top twenty-five matter? Because North Carolina was number one. Um. Yes and no. I think you go the other way. Remember the Ken Palm stat? What? Which? What? what, Uh, It was. Over, all the, I, I all the better the teams win. Well, it was it was over the past X amount of years. I, maybe it was ever since his metric came out, like two thousand two or something. Over the past whatever years, that every team who I, I, I got to pull this up because I, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to just like butcher it. You don't want to mess it up. Um, but it's basically like teams who get ones or two seeds in the NCAA tournament. Oh, they're like always ranked in the preseason. But are no no no. But are not ranked. Oh no, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Top like, you really get a struggle. one seed. Yeah, you get a like you're not a preseason top twenty five team, and you end up getting a one seed. So like Purdue, mm-hmm. and then and you Marquette. lose. Yeah, and then you lose. Yeah. No, you're right. I have I did see that too. Yeah. So it was okay. Here's what it is in the sixty four team era. So that goes back to so, nineteen eighty five. Yeah. Wow. That's like forty years of data. Man. There have been thirty six teams to enter the tournament as a one or two seed that were not ranked in the preseason AP poll. They have combined for zero Final Fours, averaging fewer than two wins per tournament. This year, Purdue and Marquette were the teams. They both lost in the first weekend. 
So preseason yeah. polls, you're right. They're not the be-all, end-all, but... I guess they do matter. They matter a little bit. Damn. Matter a little bit. I guess they do matter. Because I think what it means is if you're ranked in the preseason poll, it means you have talent. Yeah. And by the time we get to March, a lot of times, look at Arkansas. Arkansas yeah. was preseason top five, top ten team. Yes. They got an eight seed, but we know they were better than that. Yes. Michigan State was before the season ranked 11th in Ken Palm. Uh, they got a seven seed, but we knew talent-wise they were better than that. So that if it clicks in March, you make it to the second weekend. You make a run. Thank you for saying. Thank you for not saying that Tom Izzo is a good coach. <laughs> Unbelievable. Appreciate that. You know, it's, uh, Tom Izzo has eight Final Fours. That's just wild number. That's double yes. Bill Self. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. All right. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty will join the show in about 20 minutes from right now. Let's talk a little uh, overall week one March Madness thoughts next. This is RCST on KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Real quick before we go to break, if you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235 has you covered. They're located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. We'll be back after this timeout. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. I'm joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Uh, so we just talked about this on, on the previous end and, you know, uh, trying to predict the bracket and, and all these weird things that happen in March. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you the same question, Kevin. What, what did you feel like you got most right in the first weekend of the tournament? And what did you feel like you were the most wrong about in the first weekend of the tournament? You know, I went into the tournament feeling like Kansas had the toughest road of all the number one seeds, and I'm not sure that it was particularly close. I mean, when you looked at the Ken Palm rankings, when you looked at the fact that Kansas could basically play a top 20 team, you know, in the second round, uh, I, I think that there was a lot of that. Uh, the The other thing that I, I felt pretty good about going in was – I, I kind of felt like it, as much as I like this year's Alabama team, I kind of felt like Houston and Texas, that potential Elite Eight game could yield the national champion. You know, I picked Houston to win it all. And so when, when you look at that, I, I after watching Texas, after watching Houston play in their first few games, I don't think that's pushed me off of that either. I, I think that – that's a game that uh, that not only could be a really good one, but I also feel like the winner of that game could go on to win it all. Yeah, that'll that'll certainly be a fun one. Um, and I, I think just the style of the guard play should be a lot of fun there. Uh, sure. I, outside of that one, is is there any other I don't know Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight matchups that you're uh, possibly salivating about how fun the the type of matchup, or, or maybe you're just interested by the clashing of styles. Yeah, I think they're kind of all over the place. That Creighton-Princeton game, I think it is sort of low-key fascinating, especially given that whoever faces Alabama is going to be a really interesting matchup. You know, if it's Princeton, obviously Alabama wants to get out and run and, and you know do all of those different things. You can't do that against Princeton because of the way that they control the tempo and, and all of that. Uh, obviously, the West is still such a loaded region. You get the Sweet 16 game between UCLA and Gonzaga, who have played the last two years, you know, played in the Final Four two years ago, 
And uh, and Gonzaga won, obviously, an instant classic. Played last year, and Gonzaga just crushed UCLA. But at the same time, I think UCLA and Tennessee are somewhat similar in that the two of them, when you look at them, I I think both both teams, I don't want to say got written off, but people were maybe a little bit more hesitant about them with UCLA losing Jalen Clark with the injury status of Adam Bona you know, sort of up in the air heading into the tournament. Tennessee obviously lost to Zakai Ziegler, and I think most people kind of said, okay, well, Tennessee just won't have the offense anymore to to be an effective team in March, and obviously both of those teams are now in a spot where you look at their path. You know, UCLA and, and Tennessee both look like they could very easily be Final Four teams right now. Who do you think is is the player, maybe if you have a couple players that stick out here, that that's left in the tournament that would maybe be most likely to pull kind of a Kemba Walker-type run and carry his team to at least a Final Four, if not a title? Well, it has to be Marquis Noel, right? I mean, the the, the fun, that, that kid is so much fun to watch over at, at Kansas State. And I, I say that because, you know, he's somebody that I think – you know, you get after a lot of times for maybe not having the best shot selection. You know, hey, it's early in the shot clock and, and he takes a 28-footer. You know, Marquise, what are, what are you, Marquise, what are you doing? But you see the what he was against Kentucky, and, and Kansas State doesn't win that game without the Marquise Noel that we saw sort of early in Big 12 play when he was putting up numbers and sort of the the ticker across the bottom of the screen was saying, you know, first guy since Trey Young to do whatever. And so I think a lot of the other teams, you look at it, and I don't want to say they're more well-rounded because I don't want to imply that Kansas State isn't well-rounded with Keontae Johnson and some of the pieces they have. But I think on, on most of the other teams, you feel like there are multiple candidates there are more – candidates to to really break out right with UConn yeah Adama Sanogo could be that guy but you also have you know Hawkins and, and different players there where you're like well it could be this guy too you know Houston Marcus Sasser looked great in the second round but he didn't even have the best performance on his own team in that game Tremont Mark did and so when you when you look across and say okay it's it's going to be one guy. I, I think you look at Marquise Noel and maybe you know somebody like Jaime Jaquez at, at UCLA as well. Do you have a, an updated Final Four pick at this point? Uh, you know, I I would go with Houston still. Uh, I think that soon's going to come out. Um, I, I like UCLA to to top Gonzaga and and wind up you know beating whoever comes out of. Uh, out of that top game, whether that's UConn or Arkansas, as well as UConn is playing, I just I think UCLA executes at such a high level that I like UCLA there. I do think Alabama is going to come through, and then you know the East. I almost feel like it's spin a bottle. You, know, it's, <laughs> you have uh, you have a Florida Atlantic team that is thirty three and three, and they started the season one and one, so. They've only lost twice since, you know, like November, mid-November. And they're now up to like number 22, I think, in Kempom. And so you have that team being the underdog in that group. You have Tennessee that, like I said, I I think I would probably pick Tennessee. 
to come out of that group just because of how physical and, and how well they defend. But, you know, with them being that way, we've seen Tennessee have days where they just don't shoot the ball that well. And even beyond that, we've seen how certain games in this tournament have been officiated really tightly. And so I do think there's a little bit of a danger zone there for Tennessee, Kansas State, you know, when Noel is playing like that, can play with anybody in the country. And then Michigan State is executing at a really high level right now. And so I would probably pick Tennessee, but that would be the region where I think I, I would have the most, you know, sort of up in the air where I, I'm just really not sure at all. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on RCST. I know as the tournament goes on and the season starts to wrap up, you're always working on you know the possible way too early top 25 stuff because you have to have that ready right as the season kind of ends um what what's kind of the thought and the range that you kind of have on Kansas right now yeah I think you know it, it's funny you say that because I think we've nailed down about our our top six or seven uh, you know right about and it, it's so hard because you know with the way that we do it, we the only people that we auto exclude from rosters are guys who are projected first round picks and obviously there are more guys than that who enter the NBA draft and the other thing is is the covid year adds you know such a, a wild card there you know Dylan Disu at Texas is just red hot right now and he can come back to Texas next year and you you think about what that could do for for their chances and their decisions, it, it makes it really tough for Kansas. Getting you know, long story short, I guess uh, I would put them kind of right outside of that top six or seven range right now. A lot's going to depend on on what the Jayhawks do in the portal. But when you look at, at these teams, I I think it's important to note that almost nobody is a complete product or is a finished product you know you you do look at marquette having five starters returning you know potentially and say hey that's that that's potentially a a pretty finished product but most of these teams you're looking for one or two pieces and saying they'll figure the rest out later and so when you have kansas and you look at you know what kansas has been under bill self how consistent they've been you look at dewan harris you look at KJ Adams coming back. You look at some of the peripheral pieces as well. You know, potentially a jump from a guy like Ernest Sude. And, and I think that puts Kansas probably in that eight, nine, ten range. I would say at this point. Who are the teams that I think you would be at least in discussion for maybe number one overall next year? Do you think? Sure. You know, Houston looks pretty loaded again, and and it'll be interesting since Houston obviously next year is making that transition into the Big Twelve. Uh, Duke looks pretty loaded because I think Duke is going to return more of their freshman class based on what we've heard than a lot of people maybe project. And so if Duke is is bringing back a guy like Kyle Filipowski, which is kind of what we're hearing may happen, you know, Tyrese Proctor, you know, Mark Mitchell, those guys, and you add in, you know, one of the best freshman classes in the country, that's a team that's not just going to have depth, but it's going to have, you know, more experienced depth as well. And so I think Houston may wind up being right around number one. We haven't ranked them yet. I think Duke's going to be in that range. Marquette, I already mentioned. UConn is fascinating to me because I think UConn could lose 
one or two guys, but they don't necessarily fall in the range of where we automatically exclude them. So like the no-go, for instance, you would figure would probably be gone, but he's not projected as a top 30 pick at this point. And so if you project Sonogo to come back with some of the other guys that would also come back on that team, UConn's going to be there. Another Big East team, Creighton. You know, Creighton can return all five starters from this year's team. I'm not saying they will, but they can. I think Shireman has a has a COVID year still left, and then the rest of the guys, you know, we're we're all younger guys. I think. Arkansas, you know, you look at Trevon Brazil coming back from injury, you know, when a lot of people thought he was a potential first-round pick, you know, him coming back, Devo Davis comes back, Jordan Walsh comes back, Arkansas is going to kind of be in that discussion. The couple other, or I guess the other one just off the top, I think is Texas. When you look at, you know, Tyrese Hunter potentially coming back, Arterio Morris, you know, Mitchell, DC, I, I think Texas is kind of in that discussion as well. So th- those are, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have given away that much, but I, I think those are some of the teams that we've kind of circled being in that range at this point. And, and almost all of them have, you know, three or more returning starters and, and have guys that, that have experience and are adding in some impact guys. So I, I think that, uh, I think that's a pretty strong group. I'll definitely recommend for everyone to to check that piece out when it does come out after the uh, nets are cut down and, and after the season comes to a close. It's always great work with 24-7 sports and the way too early. Top 25 with with uh, Kevin Flaherty on there. Uh, as far as KU to, to maybe, um, I don't know, put together this offseason ahead, I guess I guess we'll start right here. Uh, Grady Dick is, is kind of the one pro decision that we're awaiting on, and um, I said earlier today that, I have it as a 90% chance he goes pro, 10% he comes back. We had Matt Tate on earlier in the show. He was a little more optimistic than I was about him returning. He had it at a, a 25 to 30% chance. Nick said earlier he has it 15 to 20. Where would you put the percentage chance that Grady Dick comes back? I, I'd probably split the difference between you and, you and Nick. I'd probably say 10 to 15% would, would, be, would be my guess on that one. And, and I think that it's telling when you look at, at some of the names that Kansas is linked at, you know, is linked with in potential transfers and, and things like that. And so much of that gets done behind the scenes. It feels like before guys even enter the portal. But if you look at the, the guys that Kansas would potentially have interest in, you're looking at bigger wings. And so obviously you do lose Jalen Wilson. You do likely lose Kevin McCuller, you know, Kevin McCuller, it sounds like is gone, but at the same time, you know, we've seen weirder things happen with with Kansas players and certainly, you know, their NIL opportunities to be had potentially if, if McCuller were to return. But if you look at at that and kind of read between the lines, I do think that, that Kansas seems like they're looking for multiple starting wings. So, yeah, that's, that's certainly very interesting then. So then what, what does a logical offseason look like? Because I know, like you said, with the wings, that that would make a lot of sense from the transfer portal. Do they have to be shooters? Do they need uh, more players who can maybe create off the bounce and score for them? Do they already have enough of that with the freshman class coming in? Like, What do you think a logical or good offseason looks like for KU from the personnel side of things? 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting because obviously Bill Self is coming off having just won a national title, playing three big wings, right? And legitimately like three three wings, like not, you know, a secondary creator really or, or point guard type playing one of those wing spots. And you look at having Dewan Harris, you bring in somebody like El Marco Jackson and you wonder potentially if Kansas is going to kind of revert back to sort of the two guard creators that that we've seen them be just because that's what Kansas has access to. I do think when you look at pairing Harris with somebody like Jackson, you know, shooting potentially becomes the question. And obviously Dewan had a had a fairly solid year shooting the ball, but didn't shoot it a ton. You know, if if you were to look at Dewan continuing to improve and he's improved every year so far, you know, maybe next year he becomes a fairly high level shooter at, at a bigger rate. I, I think that's a fair ask for him to do. But you know, El Marco Jackson not really, you know, a huge shooter or whatever. And so I do think in those two spots, you're going to want some semblance of shooting. And it wouldn't surprise me if one of the two wings that they get to start winds up being a person who's a little bit of a creator there, too. I, I think Kansas really got a lot out of Kevin McCuller and, and Jalen Wilson being able to create for others as well as themselves. And uh, I do think that uh, you're going to see two bigger wings in that three and four spot but it wouldn't surprise me to see Kansas kind of go back to more of a sort of two-point guard look next year as opposed to what they've done the last couple of years. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work, including that uh, upcoming in a few weeks, Way Too Early Top 25 with 24-7 Sports. Kevin, appreciate the time as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson with you here in the 5 o'clock hour. Nick Springer has headed on out of here. He is uh, getting ready for high school sports weekly tonight. And uh, you can go on over to Burgers by Biggs. The Lawrence High School baseball team is going to be on the docket tonight, 6 to 7 o'clock over at Burgers by Biggs on the corner of Wakarusa and Bob Billings. You can also hear the action right here on KLWN or KLWN.com from 6 to 7 o'clock. Tomorrow we're scheduled to have some KU baseball coming at you. Kansas taking on Missouri over at Kauffman Stadium. The reason I say scheduled is uh, I know it's kind of a rainy day today. I don't know if there could be any weather in the forecast that possibly impacts things for that game, but as of now, we're scheduled to bring you KU baseball on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're going to have Westwood one coverage with our sweet 16 rounds and, and elite eight rounds and everything here on KLWN. So that'll start on five o'clock on Thursday and Friday. We'll have a, a bit of a short show for the two of those. We also though, on Thursday, um, we have a, um, KU women's basketball game that we're going to air at six fifteen. So it'll basically be a five o'clock we'll we'll do our Westwood one coverage and then that'll carry over till six fifteen when pregame starts. We'll have the KU women's game, six thirty, then once that ends, we'll go back to Westwood one coverage. The reason KU women's is still playing is because they got a big dominant win yesterday. Took down Missouri seventy five to forty seven in the second round of the women's NIT. 
So now they move on to the round of 16. I think they call it the Super 16 in the women's NIT. So that's, I guess, officially what they're in. And they're going to be taking on the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Um, so that game is going to be interesting on its own on Thursday night because Nebraska actually beat Kansas earlier in the season. They beat them in their regular seat or their uh, non-conference finale. That was at the end of December. Lost in uh, an overtime game. It was a crazy game uh, for KU before they went off to win a break. But now they get them in Lawrence. That one was in Lincoln, Nebraska. And again, that game on Thursday. If they win that game, they would be playing either Saturday, Sunday, or Monday in the grade eight against either Arkansas or Texas Tech. And the Big 12 has uh, done really well so far in the WNIT. Texas Tech's in the, the Super 16 along with Kansas. Kansas State is playing Wyoming and Manhattan. Um, so the Big 12 has done well in addition to getting, I think, six teams in the NCAA tournament to kind of show the the strength of the conference and everything. But as far as what happened for KU in dominating Missouri, they were excellent from outside, 10 of 20 from three-point range. I think there's something to be said about the idea that, you know, when you're playing in a tournament like this, Kansas, Kansas put so much pressure on themselves to get to the NCAA tournament. You miss out. Now you you kind of have the opportunity to play loose a little bit because you don't have that pressure of anything where you're just kind of playing for the cherry on top here to develop some of your players, looking to take another step into next year, to have some of your seniors have them have you know, some extra games, especially at home, where it's almost like extended senior days for them to, to play final games at Allen Fieldhouse. And the three-point shooting has come around. And for, like, Holly Kerskeeter, who has had more of an up-and-down three-point shooting season after being so good a season ago, she's starting to get it going from the outside. Um, but you went 10 of 20 from three as a team. The defense was really good for KU. You held Missouri to 37% from the floor. You held them to 47 points for the game. Tiana Jackson really impacting things in the middle of the defense. And all five starters for KU were in double figures. Really balanced scoring effort all the way around for KU. It was a close-ish game after like one quarter of play. And then KU just pulled away. They were the better team kind of throughout. Zakiah Franklin has 21 points and She's been so good for KU this season. Took a really big step from last year to this year and becoming a, a really quality player already to now being an All-Big 12 first-team player this year. She has another year left to play, so they could have both Zakiya Franklin and Tiana Jackson back next season. We've seen a lot in the men's game where the team who wins the NIT or goes far in the NIT um, ends up having a big boost from the previous season to the next year. Like two years ago, I guess it would be three years ago, whatever it was, TCU, I believe, won the men's NIT, and then last year they ended up making the second round of the NCAA tournament and had a really strong season from what we're used to for TCU and obviously made the second round again this year. I remember there was a Wichita State team that made the that like won the NIT. Then the next year, I think they got like a five seed in the NCAA tournament but lost. But then I think the year after that was when they got a nine seed and made the final four. Um, I'm trying to remember who won the NIT last season. Uh, because I, I want to say they had a, another big run here as well. Oh, it was Xavier. Xavier won the NIT last season. This year they get a three seed, obviously with the coaching change too, and uh, they go on to the Sweet 16 now. Um, so teams who do well in the NIT are able to capitalize that experience, that extra playing time, those extra practices, and really work them into a stronger season. That's why this is important for KU, because next year – you're going to be expected to get back to the NCAA tournament. Next year, you're going to have a possibly super senior Tyana Jackson and possibly a super senior Zakiah Franklin, your two all-first-team uh, Big 12 picks from this year. And you could have a, another year of Chandler Prater next year and um, another year of, of 
you know, Iwana, Hatsi Leonti coming back from injury and some of these other players for these teams, in addition to adding the, the five-star recruit and Samaya Nichols to this team to where next year's team could be really good. But an opportunity to get better into next season is this WNIT, even though it is a bit of disappointment that they didn't make the NCAA tournament. And they're taking advantage of that right now. And then on top of it, you rack up a win over your rival and do so by 28 points. So both the KU men's and the KU women's teams both won by 28 points. KU men's won, I think, 95-67. KU women's win 75-47. Dominant outings all the way around, and it's never a bad thing when KU beats Mizzou as they did last night. So, again, they move on to the uh, Super 16 in the WNIT, and that game will be at uh, Allen Fieldhouse on Thursday against Nebraska at 6.30 with pregame at 6.15. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here. I did want to also talk about a little more uh, the Cam Martin transferring news. That was announced yesterday, and we haven't really got into it too much so far. Uh, this isn't like a huge shock or anything like that. Things... Uh, never really super materialized for Cam Martin in his, his time at, at Kansas. He uh, was the transfer over from Division Two, where he was a really, really good player. They brought him in two off-seasons ago. He ended up redshirting last year, and I think uh, the idea when they brought him in was that he could you know, maybe compete with Mitch Lightfoot to be the backup center or maybe be the guy behind Mitch Lightfoot if there was any injuries or um, foul trouble game-to-game -game or, or maybe just a different change of pace. But then what happened was you had, um, you know, Zach Clements and some of the other young players maybe beat him out in the offseason to where it was, okay, well, it makes more sense to redshirt him and see what he can do, and then maybe the next year he capitalizes. And, you know, KU could have certainly used another center who uh, would have materialized in the game against Arkansas and really all season long. So it was a shame that, unfortunately, things didn't work out with Cam Martin, whether it was the play or what happened this year, which was, him dealing with injury stuff and trying to take a medical red shirt, which he's applying for now, which I assume he's going to get and then be able to transfer and have his seventh year of basketball. So you wish him well um, going somewhere else. But yeah, just never really materialized and worked out as, as far as what it means now for, for KU. Um, you look at just the scholarship numbers on its own. KU uh, has 13 scholarship players this season, obviously. They're going to have to most likely get down one. The The self-imposed sanction that they applied on themselves is losing a scholarship um, or, or losing three scholarships over the next three seasons. Hypothetically, the way that they termed that, they could be like, we have full scholarships the next two years and then lose all three scholarships our last year or lose three scholarships this year or lose one each year, or lose two one year, one another, right? So they can, they can approach it different ways depending what happens with the roster here. Now, I would imagine we're going to hear about the NCAA IARP stuff this offseason, and what if they come in and they knock another scholarship from you or, or something to that tune to where we don't totally know the numbers, but I'm just assuming that Kansas will go into this year with 12 scholarship players as opposed to 13. So already on its own, you're minus one in scholarships just because you are losing one from where you were this past year. Um, then you're adding four newcomers, four freshmen, with uh, El Marco Jackson, Chris Johnson, uh, Jamari McDowell, and uh, Marcus Adams, who reclassified over the weekend. So now you're minus five in scholarships. But then you, you lose Jalen Wilson, you lose Kevin McCuller, now you're minus three. You figure you're going to lose Grady Dick, even though that's been kind of a topic of conversation on today's show. That would get you down to, to minus two. Cam Martin now transfers. Now you're down to minus one at that point. Um, and so that would mean somebody else would have to go. 
That means there's going to be somebody else transferring from the program. Realistically, KU is going to bring in a transfer or two. I don't know, maybe even three. But realistically, for sure, one transfer, probably two. And if that is the case, you're already minus one right now. Bring in a transfer that makes you minus two. You bring in a second transfer that makes you minus three. That means at the very least, you're going to be looking at two more KU players, if not three, transferring out of the program. So I think you look at the, the guard position. Right? Joe Yasavu, Bobby Pettiford, Kyle Cuff. You already have Dewan Harris on the roster. You're going to be adding Marco Jackson, who could be a, a starter as a combo guard for you. If not, he's going to be that first guard off the bench, you would think. Um, you, you never totally know. We saw with MJ Rice, you know, five-star recruit, didn't totally work out. So you never totally know. But uh, you would think that's going to be the case with Marco Jackson. Chris Johnson could be getting, you know, combo guard two, three minutes for you, uh, like, number two or number three, like shooting guard, small forward, I mean, in, in that sense, the position uh, for you off the bench as well. There's a lot of guys to compete with. So you would just figure one of Yesifu, Pettiford, and Cuff are going to transfer out of the program. I think the immediate assumption would probably be Cuff because he's furthest down on the uh, the depth chart, but you never know how those conversations are going to go. And sometimes players, you know, may they may be told by coaches like, hey, we don't think you're going to get much playing time here. It makes more sense for you to transfer. And they say, no, I want to prove you wrong. I want to compete, and I want to stay. So you don't know how that's going to work. But you would figure one of those three transfer away. You would think that maybe one of your backup centers transfers away, right? Maybe it's Zach Clements or something, and then you end up moving open two scholarships. That allows you to bring in one transfer. For you to bring in a second, that would mean that, you know, maybe it's MJ Rice or maybe another one of those guards or maybe another one of those backup centers ends up going, and, and that's just kind of how the game goes. Um, and it's just kind of an interesting part of it because it is the conversations between you know for sometimes the players it is all about hey I just want to go get better opportunity and more playing time sometimes it is more about the coaches saying hey you're not going to be a part of our future plans and I don't think they can technically like pull the scholarship but they can basically tell the player like we're not going to play you next year it's in your best interest to leave and a lot of times they do end up leaving but like I said sometimes a player could just say no screw you I'm going to prove you wrong whether it happens or doesn't happen you know, is kind of remains to be seen. And that can be uh, parts of figuring out the scholarship numbers as well for KU. All right, we're going to take a timeout. We've got some uh, post-game audio from the KU women's basketball team after they took down Missouri last night. That on the other side, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.